Today's episode is presented by Public. Public Public.com has just launched its new high-yield cash account, offering an industry-leading 5.1% APY. No fees, no subscription, and no minimums or maximums. That means you can grow your cash with 5.1% interest with no strings attached. It's as simple as that. Again, that is 5.1% interest with no fees, 5.1% interest with no subscription, 5.1% interest with no minimums or maximums, and 5.1% interest with up to $5 million of FDIC insurance, just 5.1% interest straight up, no strings attached. Sign up today at public.com backslash chit chat money. This is a paid endorsement for public.com, 5.1% APY as of December 20th, 2023, and is subject to change. Full disclosures and terms and conditions can be found in the podcast description. High-yield cash accounts are available for U.S. members only. Okay, welcome in, everyone. This is Chit Chat Money, soon to be Chit Chat Stocks. We recorded this, and I think we said Chit Chat Money previously as we're recording the intro later as... We're changing the name right around the time this comes out. So next episode, it's definitely going to be called Chit Chat Stocks. But either way, my name is Brett Schaefer. I'm joined as always by Ryan Henderson. And today we have a fantastic long-form discussion with Alex Morris from the TSOH Investing Research Service and Francisco Oliveira from Aravilo Capital Management talking Netflix and the state of the streaming wars. So essentially, this is what we did. We wait until Netflix released their Q4 earnings. Luckily, it was a pretty notable one. Very good report by them. And then we talked about the report. We talked about their long-term plans. And we talked about how they're going to affect potentially everything within the um, streaming market and the entertainment and media industry. We talked advertising tiers. We talked sports. We talked even a little bit on their video game ambitions. And then we talked about a lot of the stuff and how they've expanded their competitive advantage over the last few years. We're going to get right into it. Ryan, anything to add there? What was your favorite part of this Netflix discussion? I think my favorite part is the first question we ask, which is, are the streaming wars over? Has Netflix won? And uh, Uh, Don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. Make everyone listen. I appreciated the answer, and I I think it's a... it's it's timely considering that we have had this discussion with them in the past during the streaming wars, and over the last three years, we've talked about it a lot with them and kind of how it's going to shake out. And it feels like we're getting kind of through to the other side. So uh, it's a fun discussion for sure. Uh, But with that, anything else to add there? Nope. I think that's a great way to tease this episode. Without further ado, here's our discussion on Netflix. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in, everyone. Today, we have two recurring guests on the show. It is Francisco Oliveira from Aravilo Capital Management and Alex Morris from TSOH Investing Research. Go check out either of those uh, websites or find them on Twitter if you want more you know, information on the stuff that they do professionally. But today, 
We were talking, I think it's been a couple weeks now, we were messaging back and forth on what to do on a show for media, because you guys follow the space very well. You're, you're probably, I would say, one of the foremost experts, the analysts in the space. And we kind of honed in on focusing on Netflix. And I think it was a good choice because this was a very interesting report uh, for all, I think, the consensus was or is that they absolutely crushed it and they are continuing to separate themselves from the competition. So we're going to, for context for the listeners, focus on the Netflix earnings report, focus on their broad strategy, and then how it relates to the streaming wars and the media industry in general. So my first question, and I can direct it at either one of you guys. I think you guys can choose who goes first. Has Netflix won the streaming wars? Are there any competitors left? Go ahead, Francisco. You know this better than I do. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is yes. Um, I think there was a period of time, late 2019, Apple TV Plus launch, Disney Plus launch, you know, ESPN Plus, maybe not in the same war as Netflix, but that launched a year before. You know, you get you got HBO got more aggressive. You had the launch of Peacock, Paramount Plus, um, probably a, a couple other small ones. Um, Hulu got more aggressive, bundled with with Disney Plus, and content budgets for across the board went through the roof. And at the same time, they stopped licensing for the most part uh, original content and library to to Netflix. And that also happened at the same time that right before the pandemic, accelerated with the pandemic, you know, cost of capital was lower, you know, the the prospects of us staying at, at home for extended periods of time or, or at least the perception was very, very high. Um, the traditional studios also, you know, there's no hardly any movie theater attendance in 2020 and, and 2021 wasn't dramatically better. Um, so many of that product went straight to, to streaming or very, very, very quickly to streaming. So you, you had the, the biggest face off that you've had in this industry ever when Netflix mostly had it for themselves. And that kind of culminated in, in early 2022 when they had two earnings reports that were horrific, um, from a guidance perspective. Or from a growth prospect perspective and the subscriber growth prospect perspective, and you know Netflix had to pivot strongly, and and they've had they you know started an ad tier, cracked down on password sharing, um, they cut costs, they they basically froze content costs, and kind of hung in there and executed, and, and now everybody else uh, is realizing that this business is a lot tougher. Um, that they can't lose money forever. Um, and, you know, many of these streamers have begun to cut, cut costs themselves and start licensing to Netflix. And you're seeing their their strength and, and power coming through. So I think what's, you know, the reaction has been positive, but I think it's it's been almost two years of that Netflix had to kind of, you know, start to execute and focus and, and, and move in the period that they themselves called a, a crisis uh, two years ago. Yeah, and we, 
for context for the listeners or just a little tease, we will be talking the foray into sports or as the CEO calls it, sports entertainment, as he was trying to be very clear on on the call. We're going to talk the advertising tier and we are going to talk the gaming, the video game stuff that they really were are talking about in the Q4 letter. But I want to ask you, Alex, you do a great chart. You post on uh, Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it every quarter with the Nielsen market share from streaming. Um, it seems like Netflix and YouTube are the big ones there, but I guess in related to the streaming wars question, is there anyone that Netflix needs to be worried about from these direct co- competitors or is it just YouTube or, or is the competitive field just really, are they just pulling away here as we say here in 2024? Well, the interesting thing is, and then first of all, thanks for having, having us on again. Um, the interesting thing from just looking at the Nielsen data is that the, the services that have made the most significant strides over the past year or so have been the, the fast services, the free ad supported, uh, you know, typically channels. Um, there's some, there's some video on demand, but they have channel components to them as well. So the, the Roku channels, the, the two V's and the Pluto's of the world, um, they've made a decent amount of progress over the over the past year or so in terms of engagement share. Um, it also coincides with um, maybe fortuitously for someone like Netflix with the move into these ad supported tiers and and these you know lower priced offerings to to do a better job of segmenting segmenting the base. But in terms of the legacy players, you know they've all generally speaking uh, been been stuck at similar levels to where they've been for some time and. And just for numbers for people who haven't seen the seen the data, if you're looking at a Paramount Plus, a Peacock, a Max, that's right around the one percent of US TV time for each of those services. Um, I believe Disney Disney Plus is closer to two percent, and then you have you know the the Hulu's and the and the Amazon Prime videos, which are more in the the three three and a half percent range, I believe. And and finally, you have Netflix and and YouTube, which are up around at least seven, eight, nine percent moves around over time. So yeah, they've really, you know, kind of maintained that that clear leadership position over the past, call it 12, 18, 24 months when when the industry went through probably its most intense period. The other thing I'd add to Francisco's answer is, you know, I think it's it's really important in my mind, and we talked about this last time that I was on on Chit Cat Money on Netflix. It's really important to understand this business from a regional perspective. And I think what they've done in UCAN over the past year or two, particularly on password sharing and and the impact that's had on volumes and pricing is just such a great uh, example of how the results that Netflix is delivering today are are the output of decisions that have been that they've been making for the past five to ten years. And they they they've played this very intelligently and always with a long-term vision and you know the the alternative route of trying to compress what they did over ten or fifteen years into a period of two to three years has proven to be very very difficult, and it speaks to speaks to disruption and you know how important it is to respond quickly and intelligently when your when your business is potentially at risk. So this has been a great case study on on how change can impact an industry. Okay, now. There's been a lot of changes. I guess you mentioned some of them, but what have been the important changes to Netflix's business model since the beginning of 2020? Um, or you guys mentioned some. What do you think are the most important things that they've changed about this business since 2020 that's allowed them to separate from, as you mentioned, the the Hulus, the Amazon Primes of the world? 
Look, I, I think there's some things that change pretty, um, pretty dramatically, but I think others, um, I go back to that Jeff Bezos quote that, you know, when you're holding your breath and you're underwater, it's basically you versus the, the competition. You just better make sure you got the bigger lungs. Um, this is another way of seeing, saying that, you know, when you were in an intensely competitive environment, just make sure you can survive, right? that period of time because it's not going to last forever um so so staying with that right they had netflix had still dramatically a bigger global scale than all the competition they had dramatically bigger uh, content budgets and a team that's been executing this for for well over well, for well over a decade and you know even if you include the dvd days you know well over two decades so they had a very, very strong hand, even though subscriber numbers had gone negative and revenue growth had just basically like gone down to like 1%. Um, so they just needed to hang in there in, in many ways that to, to keep producing good content at scale. Um, and eventually, you know, with hits, with the content, like the smaller players just couldn't survive. The numbers wouldn't, wouldn't work because if you're, Every year, 14 billion a year, 14 billion a year, 14 billion a year. And your competitors really can't make a business out of it with, with, with 6 billion in content spend. Um, you're just going to, you're, you're just going to, you're just going to, you know, outlast them. So I think there's a, there's a, there's an aspect of that, but, but also very, very importantly, they took a, a, a good hard look at their business model and they said like, look, some of the things that we thought in the past, uh, we have to change. And, and the, the biggest example of this is advertising, right? They were always like, no way, never advertising, never advertising. They were very content with, you know, as they say, asking a little bit from their members every once in a while because they increased the value to them with more content. And as I look back, and it's, it's obviously very, very obvious in hindsight, um, but you can't raise prices forever um, on this type of content. And you 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 have to start to assume that like hey they can charge thirty dollars a month forty dollars a month etc way down the road and that just becomes way way too difficult for if you want the type of global scale that we're talking about with 500 million plus subs well they realize that when when you have an advertising tier you can attract a, a lot of people right offer a very low arpu a low very low price but their average re revenue per user can match that of the ad free tiers, right? Because you got the the advertising coming in, and essentially that means that you have infinite pricing power, as the the trade desk uh, CEO likes to say, right? Because you get more and more and more engagement, more and more and more subs, more and more ad revenue, right? And that you know um, comes back to your ARPU. And then the other aspect is that, like, look, the password sharing was way too prevalent and they used, you know, they did a lot of testing, introduced new tech, and, and they cracked down on that fairly hard. And anecdotally, just I know a lot of people that just uh, have been booted because of password sharing and they uh, and they become subscribers themselves. And then when you become a subscriber yourself, right, then you and, and you see the ad to your plan, it's just a very attractive option not for everybody when they've been used to for many years not seeing ads and advertising as, as netflix pointed out in the call just opens up the the avenue for you know 
telecom providers bundling your service with other streaming subscriptions, offering more deals and promotions because you can take that hit on, on the sticker price, but make it up on the advertising revenue. That's something Hulu has done for many years. Um, so you, you, you offer, you know, more price ranges, you bring in advertising. It's a very new muscle, right. Um, that they have to build, they build, a uh, the password crackdown, um, technology. And they say it was a huge com- contributor of the subscriber growth this past quarter, which is, I think the best Q4 ever with, I think they added over 13 million subscribers. But again, like just hunker down, you know, have bigger lungs and they basically froze their content spend, but they kept it very high. They didn't start slashing it, right? And now revenue has reaccelerated. The competition has suffered. Has suffered. They've got an opportunity to license content from others. Um, and now they're seeing double digit revenue growth again accelerating and they have the opportunity to to increase content spend again to the extent that they want to so just a lot of little things right but but importantly you know the scale advantage that they had right was something that they continued to use to 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 their advantage i know it yeah uh, to put a just to put the numbers on that real quick because i think it's a it's a fantastic point in terms of bigger lungs and the scale advantage they came into they they added 2019, so right before the pandemic, run rate revenues at revenue at Netflix were were roughly $22 billion a year. As we look to the Q124 guidance, that number is now up to about $37 billion a year. And if you look at if you look at the main competitors in the space, who have been very aggressively invested to try to, to scale Disney, Max, uh, Peacock, Paramount, their collective D2C revenues are are roughly in that same ballpark. So you know, Netflix as versus any individual player has continued to expand their scale advantage. And, you know, they've done it in a way, again, it's funny to think that the narrative for a long time on Netflix was, was one of just pushing sub growth and not, not being particularly concerned about building a business. And it's a laughable comment when you actually look at the ARPU composition of their book, again, on a regional basis, and you compare that to where basically every other major player is at today. Um, it's it's just laughable. I mean, they they've been truly building a business for a long period of time in terms of, of pricing, and that's something they've certainly hit the gas on over the past five or so years. With with paid sharing being one notable example, but they they have been building a business for a long time, and you know it's the legacy players who are now seeing just how difficult that is. Again, when you try to compress it into a two to three year window and and have to sustain many billions of dollars of losses to get to somewhere that may or may not be that attractive of a business at the end of the day. You mentioned, well, you mentioned the ad supported tier earlier. And then uh, Francisco, you mentioned how it's a new muscle. They're kind of trying to have to flex. And I remember reading their Q4 press release. They talked about continuing to scale their ad business as kind of a big objective. Do you think there's any world in which they end up offering a free ad supported tier? Or is it kind of dependent on how uh, how effective their advertising revenue can really be? I mean, I, I don't think it's impossible, but I don't I don't see it happening uh, soon either. Um, I think if, if if they built like just you know every year they have a lot of original shows that are that are effectively owned by them or very 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 long you know you know exclusive deals. Um, if they accumulate, you know, 10 years pass, 
uh, five years past, you accumulate a lot of content and maybe like, you know, season one of a show released in 2015 or whatever, um, you can add in that type of, of tier. Um, but I, I, I think, I think you start to entertain that idea. If your scale is on subscribers, is just dramatically higher than it is today. And your advertising revenue is at a point where it's several billions you're reporting in SEC filings and, and, and maybe you're just creating a new customer acquisition vehicle. Um, so it's not impossible. I wouldn't rule it out. I just don't think it's in, in the near future, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think this is, I think it's somewhat tangentially related. And, you know, I, I think it speaks to Netflix again with long-term focus and, and pricing the product relative to the value that they provide to, to customers and, and they're being open to new models. But you know, I think again, anecdotally, as, as someone who has done this a number of times now, if you go to cancel Peacock or if you go to cancel Paramount Plus, they'll, they'll dangle offers in front of you for, you know, 70, 80% off for a period of three months. And I, again, I think in terms of managing these businesses for the long term and with the right, with the right mindset. I, I just think it's one clear example again of where where Netflix is, again, not to say that they would never have a, a, a free ad supported tier, but but I think they appreciate the value that they provide and, and they are willing to be aggressive when it's justified in terms of asking for more pricing. So I, I, I'll i be surprised if they go direction just because they appreciate that the value out of their offering is, is head and shoulders above you know some of the fast services as an example. Okay, as we wrap up this advertising segment, I have one more just to connect it back to the stock and kind of the potential, I don't know, how big can the advertising segment get? They talked about, I think, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on the years here, 2024, advertising revenue still won't be relevant. 2025, their goal is to actually have it contribute meaningfully to revenue growth. My question is, given the global scale, given their 10 years, maybe five years now of huge investments into markets such as Latin America, South Korea, even India, how big can the advertising revenue get? Are we talking 10, $20 billion in revenue eventually, or is that maybe a bit too ambitious for a business like this? I'll give a cop-out answer before Francisco goes. I think I think the big variable that's going to impact this over the next five to 10 years is how they truly think about sports. And, you know, I, I wrote about this uh, yesterday. One key detail I thought from the, from the WWE deal, which we're going to talk about was the decision to, there are not going to be traditional ad slots, according to reporting from CNBC's out, CNBC's out Sherman. There are not going to be traditional ad slots on the WWE raw program. And I think it's a very interesting decision and it makes me, that that's for the non-ad supported customers to be clear, the SVOD tier. Um, I think it's an interesting decision and I can appreciate why they why they would choose to do that given their basically historic branding and point of differentiation from, from linear television. Um, that's gonna be much harder to stick to, I think over time if they truly wanna get into a broader sports portfolio. So I think answering that question is is, is pretty darn important in terms of just figuring out what type of content they're going to have, but then also how much how much ad revenue they'll derive over time. Yeah, I think I think my my quick answer is like you know the potential is you know extremely. extremely I, I wouldn't be shocked if we're looking back like down the road and and they actually can get to 10, 10 billion. Uh, 
But to answer that question, I mean, they, they really have to increase the penetration of the the advertising subscribers as a percentage of all of their subscribers, right? So right now, I mean, I, I would guess that the advertising subscribers is like maybe definitely under 10%, maybe even under 5% of subscribers, depending how, you know, they have, a, I think, some report out there, 20 million 20 million uh, monthly active uh, users on the ad tier and, and there's more users, more than one user per account. Um, just depending how you're you're looking at that. So I, I think some of these other services like Hulu, that's in the billions in ads, even even Peacock that's, that's growing as uh, well, right? I think it's like two thirds of their subscribers are probably in the ad tier. And that's where you can get a real muscle because you get, you know, scale the number of users and and the level of engagement so they need to focus on penetrating that and i think they, they start to signal the last few quarters that 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 is their goal and one of the ways we're going to do it is that they'll probably be aggressive in raising prices on on the ad free tier um in a way that they as they went through this period of the streaming wars right they they kind of stopped increasing prices as much now they're going to return to, they had the password crackdown, they had the ad tier. I'm going to return to increasing prices a little bit more aggressively. It's like, hey, if you don't want to pay just to say a number, $18, $19, $20, then there's a $6.99 option. And I think you're going to be able to migrate people and acquire more people. And I think 40% of subscribers, um, 40% of growth says, is it 30 or 40% of growth says, Alex, that they mentioned last quarter that that's that in the ad tier markets are, are getting the advertising tier. Yeah, 40%. 40, 40%. It's 40%. And I think that number was 30, was 20. So they've been scaling that penetration. So that's what they got to be focused on. So every time you see like, hey, price increase in the US, you know, um, I think that's another sign that they're trying to push more and more. They removed the basic tier, which was, I think, a 999. They're starting to remove that in many markets. So they're very, very focused on this business being big and working. And additionally, to, to Alex's point, which I think was a great point on on how they get into sports, um, I think that's going to be a big part of it because, you know, if you have WWE programming and they got the rights now and you got Coca-Cola to, you know, let's say Coca-Cola really wants to advertise for, for, for Netflix on WWE globally, right? Big global brand. Um, Netflix is going to sell like, yeah, fantastic. We'll give you premium spots or whatever, but you also got to advertise on on our, our our normal on Squid Games, on other originals that they're releasing, right? Casa de Papel, etc. Um, and that's you know that's a trick that Disney has done traditionally. Like, hey, do you want Monday Night Football? And you got to give me uh, inventory for ABC and FX, etc. Netflix is going to start playing that game. And I think it, it's really helpful to have properties that are captive audience. So the more you see them getting to live and things like that, that, that can work well for advertising, I think the more it, it, it was well. So, but yeah, on the point that you said earlier on the, on the different muscle, it's just, you know, <clears throat> acquiring advertisers is just one muscle. The technology, you know, is another, the customer acquisition, you know, is another ad formats is another. So it's just a completely new, new business. And, 
you know, something Rick Peter says, institutional knowledge and expertise that they've had to build, you know, in, you know, basically over two years. And, and uh, it's been pretty impressive to see how they started to build. It's not material yet, but, you know, I'm sure like over the next few, you know, probably quarters and maybe a year or year and a half or so, we'll start to get real hard numbers reported by the company. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add is I think, I think aspiring to build a very large ad business is fine, but I also think it's important to keep the eye on the ball of just building a large business overall, right? And I and I mean that in terms of the the user experience, the product, and maybe this is a little bit of a too much of a pure view of Netflix back in the day, but the product experience when there's no ads is, I think, the vast majority of people would agree is better than than when there are ads. And when you introduce the ad component in terms of not just the quality of the product, but the value equation, you start tinkering with things like engagement. And my point in saying that is if if Hulu or Peacock, whoever it is, has 75% of their customers on the ad tier versus 25 on, on the subscription tier with no ads, I personally would hope that Netflix would have a subscription mix that's quite a bit higher and being representative of the fact that it is the default service for people and they're willing to pay the full price in order to spend more time with that service as opposed to some of these secondary and tertiary products that they may use, but they're not going to be where they start the experience every night. Because I think that is a hugely important part of Netflix's business model over time. We've alluded to the sports rights a little bit throughout the show. So why don't we talk about that? The Netflix just announced sort of a a pretty big deal, it seems like, with the WWE licensing agreement. Can you guys maybe go through some of the actual terms here? So like, what what does the deal look like? Why do you think they did it? And how will it impact the other media players? Do you want to take that, Alex, or do you want me to take it? Why don't you start on deal terms because you're the TKO expert here. So deal terms is um, you think about WWE, they have two weekly properties, right? SmackDown on Fridays and and Raw on Mondays. In addition, they have the premium shows like Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, that there's another package and they call the PLEs, premium live events. Domestically, the SmackDown rights they renewed with USA Network. It used to be on Fox. And Raw, they just renewed with with Netflix, right? The PLEs are with Peacock, so WrestleMania is on Peacock. So that's that's the big component of it. They renewed Raw with Netflix, but they they also did a deal with Netflix as part of it. That for the vast majority of global markets, not quite all of them, and not immediately because some of these deals expire over time. Netflix is going to acquire the rights to Raw, SmackDown, and the PLEs, so the WrestleMania. So they're, they're basically going to have all all of WWE content, including original programs, documentaries. Um, it's going to be added to Netflix, you know, internationally, and and domestically they're going to have Raw. So the, it's a ten-year deal worth over five billion dollars. So call it on average 500 million per year, but Netflix can opt out after five years at year five, or they can decide to extend the deal for another 10 years. So potentially you're, you're looking at a situation where Netflix has 
you know, WWE Raw domestically, and most of or practically all the WWE content abroad um, for for two decades. So it's it's a pretty flexible and advantageous deal for Netflix on the economics. But if it works out, it's a very, very good deal for Raw because you're exposing you know, WWE content is the, the bread and butter is, is a younger audience, right? Um, the younger audience is not watching linear programming uh, and it's declining. If it's declining with adults, it's declining way even faster or even more dramatically with, with, young, uh, with young kids. And so you're going to open the audience and the younger audience, the tech savvy audience, the growing demographics of, of WWE fans and on Netflix. And you're going to have it. You're going to give us huge, ex, huge exposure. They've done this indirectly or directly, I guess you could say with other sports leagues with, with for, most famously formula one, how documentary just exploded the growth of the sport. Well, they have an opportunity now to explode the growth of WWE by giving it, you know, the biggest streaming platform in, in the world. Um, and I think WWE management said, like, look, we're, we're, we can talk about some of the economic terms, but we're basically not getting the best deal on a dollar basis. It's a good deal on a dollar basis, but it's not the best deal on a dollar basis. But we're going to take that because we are going to, to have the biggest audience of streaming in the world and most households or many many households check netflix daily or weekly and they're going to be exposed to wwe so it's a it's a big opportunity to expand the sport um the sport entertainment i guess it's it's scripted um so those are the the rough terms of of the deal another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's scripted? <laughs> no yeah, way. <laughs> all right uh yeah uh, uh alex do you want to maybe talk about any opinion on why they did this specific deal or how it could impact other media players i guess one thing that comes to mind is that in the united states the sports licensing stuff for the traditional cable bundle is the number one thing that keeps people around does adding that, you know, more and more sports or sports entertainment, as you might call WWE to the streaming platforms, does that potentially accelerate the decline of the cable bundle? That's kind of what's 
in my mind when talking about Netflix, this deal, and any other future deals with them? Well, if the uh, legacy U.S. media companies are worried about that, then they they should probably stop doing it themselves. <laughs> They're doing a fairly good job at that uh, currently on their own. Um, and just to put that in numbers, I mean, Comcast reported this morning, which I believe is still the largest MVPD. I could be wrong on that, but that they've lost past five years, they've lost eight million pay TV customers, and that was it. So it's down thirty five percent over the past five years, and the majority of that declines come in the past twenty four months, and you know, the reason why is it's due to price. It's due to competition, in my opinion, aka, you know, a service like Netflix, which has been eating their lunch for a long time. I looked at, you know, I looked yesterday at Comedy Central's programming guide for the day. It was like nine hours of Seinfeld. And obviously that has ads and you don't get to pick what episode you're watching. And then, you know, it went to some other show like Netflix for the next nine hours. I mean, it's just, it completely the value is obviously not there anymore for anything that's not news or sports. And then when you look at sports specifically, you can, you know, look at what Paramount's done with their NFL rights or, or what Peacock has done with their NFL rights. Most notably recently was, was the wildcard game for the AFC wildcard game, I believe. Um, so yeah, they've done a, they've done a fairly good job of, of that on their own. So they don't even really need Netflix to help. Um, you know, more broadly on the, on the deal with the WWE, I think it's, I think it is very, the content is particularly unique in terms of being sports entertainment. And I don't, I think that distinction is meaningful in my mind relative to other properties like NBA and season tournament or something. Um, I think the other major point from the conference call as a, as said by co-CEO Ted Sarandos was in terms of the value that they brought to the table for the WWE in terms of, of global reach. And, you know, I, I, I just think it's a very important comment because it speaks to management's understanding that, they're only going to play in these things when, in my opinion, they're only going to play in these things when they can truly add something incremental to the equation from what exists currently. And, and again, in many cases, that probably will not apply. And the deal value here was also smaller. So it made it a nice place to nice place to start out. But I think it's a deal that makes a ton of sense for both sides. And um, I, again, I think TKO really deserve a lot of credit for going out and doing this because I think in hindsight, it will prove to be a very smart deal, even though it may not look that way in terms of, you know, maximizing top dollar uh, tomorrow. Okay. I want now, since this is a podcast, I want to do something a little more speculative. Do you guys think one of the big, well, why don't we just call it the big three or really at the end of the day, it might even be the big two sports uh, leagues in the United States, NFL, NBA, and then to a lesser extent, you have Major League Baseball and National Hockey League. What, or excuse me, do you think any of those games, playoff games, whatever, will be on Netflix at any point within the next five to six years? Or how about we say, by 2030. Um, I'd say there's a good chance that you'll have some. Um, but, and I think, I think the, the one that makes the most sense in my opinion is, is at least like a slate of games uh, from the NBA to Netflix. And there's been reports that they're interested or at least in preliminary interest in the in-season tournament. The reason is because the NBA is, is the most global out of all those leagues. Um, 
and you can package something that is impactful and meaningful, but it's not necessarily like your average kind of, um, you know, weekly game that maybe is not as valuable. Um, so I think, I think that's what makes sense because if you look at, if you look at WWE, right, it's, it's, it's global, it's weekly, it's live, opens opportunities for advertising, potentially opens opportunities for merchandising and video games. Um, there is a big on-demand audience to WWE as well. Um, not necessarily something that like, hey, an NFL game ends, uh, you know, you're, if you, unless you're a super freak, or especially an NBA game, you're not going to want to you know, re-watch it, right? Especially when there's proliferation of highlights everywhere across social media, YouTube, etc. Um, but WWE people do um, watch it on demand and catch up, right? Uh, I couldn't necessarily be in my house uh, from Monday from eight to you know seven to, to ten or whatever when Raw's on, but but I'll watch it in the morning, the afternoon, the next day, whatever. So WWE touches a lot of those boxes, um, and the NBA also touches many of those boxes, not quite as much, um, but particularly on the global nature of it and creating a, an event around the season tournament. You're not talking about the NFL. Um, yes, it's expanding globally, but um, the interest is not quite there to, to that degree. They could definitely ex- help expand the, the glo- you know, global audience. Maybe something more interesting is an NFL deal outside the U.S., quite frankly, for Netflix. Um, because you're not necessarily going to ex- expand the reach of the NFL domestically um, in any big way. Like people go out of their way to find the NFL and the NFL, you know, your local NFL is always going to be available for free on, on over, over a broadcast channel. And the NFL is very religious on keeping that in Netflix. I'm not sure we want to compromise on, on that point. Um, as you get to down to the other leagues like MLB and NHL, they just become ultra, ultra local or, or very, very local. Um, so, you know, you, you don't necessarily like, and, and many of those teams have their local rights to themselves or tied to RSN. It's a bit of a mess. Um, so I, I think for, for leagues, again, global nature and marquee events, um, I think it makes a lot of sense for Netflix. And, you know, there was a talks that before they were, you know, interested in potentially surfing, interested in Formula One, you know, now WWE, I think something like the Wall Street Journal reported boxing. These are things that have global appeal um, and more broad appeal and something that they could help grow significantly um, and take advantage of. So. So long answer to your question, I think out of those major leagues, I think I would put the odds higher on the NBA. Um, but the other the other leagues, like never say never. There's always ways to, you know, carve out these deals. But I think it's it's a it's a longer shot unless unless Netflix starts to have a very, very, very big uh, portfolio of rights. One uh, follow you know, up there. Oh, yeah. Sorry. One follow up there. The. NBA is supposed to renegotiate, or excuse me, not renegotiate, do its new deal this year, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. All right, so we could um, see some news on that. We could see some news. On, I think the I think the exclusivity, there's a exclusivity period with ESPN and, and Warner Brothers. Um, and 
that I think there's speculation. I mean, I don't know the, the the exact day might be out there. I think that might end in April or toward you know the middle of the year. So I think you'll see things heat up, you know, towards the end of the NBA season, potentially the off season to see, you know, second half of middle or second half of this year to see wh- where the bids come. Um, so. And and they've said again that they're going to car- carve out the in season tournament and potentially carve it out globally. Um, so we we'll, we'll, we'll should we should get some news there. And by the yes, way, yeah. just one more quick one more quick thing. Um, there is interest from Amazon, other streamers. I think Amazon acquired some NBA rights in in some markets. But and I followed the situation closely with the WWE. A lot of people thought Amazon was the front runner for the WWE rights. Um, Netflix ended up getting them. So it was kind of out of left field in many ways. And, um, you know, I think now people have to be a little bit more respectful if, if they're involved, including other streamers, not just not just your traditional media players. Yeah, I can't remember if I mentioned it already. I may have, but the Sarandos quote on the call that he would not look at this as a, as a change in their sports strategy. And it ties in well to the, to the NBA uh, the new rights deals coming up here fairly soon. So to the extent that they do plan on playing there, that would he's he's going he's going to have some questions about what he said three to six months ago uh, uh, very quickly. So I'd be I, I really think this statement and it, it, it's similar to what they said have been saying on acquisitions, right? I think they they pretty clearly said for the past six twelve months, whatever it is, that they're not interested in acquiring anything that's not a good strategic fit with their business. And this quarter, they came out for the first time and just very directly said, we don't want to acquire linear channels. And you know, I think sometimes what they say is is um, is put through a, a filter of like trying to figure out what they're really saying. And I think sometimes they're really just saying what they're saying. And I think there, there are certain things like, I, I think Francisco framed it well, they're, they will be interested in things that probably have global appeal and in, and in ways where they can add value and you know something like U.S. NFL rights is, in my opinion, not where that's going to happen. What what would sports sports rights look like within the service? Do you think it would just be a part of the existing kind of uh, premium subscription tier, or do you think it's something? I believe, I think it was either Francisco or Alex that mentioned that they're not going to do traditional ads within the WWE service. Would if they're doing something with the NBA, would that pivot? Would that switch? Or do you think it would replicate kind of this WWE model? So that's a, that's I, I think that's the problem is the question, right? <laughs> this is what's happening now. I mean, you can look at Zaslav's the perfect example who who railed against the model of renting sports rights for many, many years when he was at Discovery. Now that he's in charge of WBD and has a huge focus of sports rights, he's he's forced to navigate this question of what do we do with this? in an environment where the largest pay TV distributor just saw its customer base decline by 35% in five years, and that pays our bills and the cost is rising, how do we transition from A to B? And you know, I think what they've announced recently with, with I believe they're still calling it BR Sports. I know they changed the TNT branding in, uh, internationally, but I think it's still BR Sports, which is going to be an add-on tier onto Max after they get through a little bit of a free trial period here to get people to hopefully start using the product. I haven't heard too much chatter in terms of people actually doing that. But, you know, that 
it's not an offensive decision. It's purely defensive and it's, it's purely trying to figure out how to sustain these economics. And the answer to that question is going to be very, very difficult. And by the way, ESPN and ESPN plus have, have a similar issue here and they've come about it in a somewhat different way. But I think they're also finding now as this evolves that, that getting to the answer is very, very difficult because these rights are very, very expensive. And, you know, putting it in an all you can eat product is, is inevitably going to drive up the cost quite significantly, which for a certain customer that's going to work very well and for a different type of customer that's going to be very problematic. So I think, again, I think Netflix will spread very, very cautiously before, before they move that route. And I think there are clear opportunities for them to add value to suppliers that, that can work better for both parties. And a good example is you know, a 20-year deal with the WWE. Yeah, okay. oh, I I, I just want to add. I, I mean, I agree with Alex. I think you know, adding tears and all this stuff and mumbo jumbo, and particularly when you have issues with like when Netflix has issues with like the in-app purchases with Apple and all those things. I, I think it becomes a little bit too messy. I think you know, especially when you know you, you this year the content budget is seventeen billion cash. WWE starts in twenty twenty-five, and that's it's five hundred million dollars. So. It's it's material part, but not you know not something that's going to drive your your cost of programming too too dramatically. Um, so it's it just it's it's much simpler to keep it. I think another perspective is in the user interface, like how is it going to call to attention, and you're going to you know WWE provides a lot of content. How do you organize that? I th- I think you know I'm not sure what they'll do, but I they're like the best at user interface and tech and and looking clean and organizing. So I trust that they'll they'll find a, a good solution uh, for the WWE and, and that per, from that perspective. Okay. Real Next quickly, topic. one more thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Just just one more thing, and it ties back to the prior point on on engagement and having this be the service that people pull up every night, right? So there's certain things like an NFL playoff game that people are going to seek you out and find you. You know, when you own the out of market rights, like yes, does. Getting that in front of people, there may be plenty of people who are willing to watch a random game that they don't know is on, but you have to actually get that in front of them somehow. They have to know that it's on. And, you know, this is where you get into issues that they have been been navigating and will continue to navigate. Like they've done very prominently with ESPN plus basically being a row of tiles when you open up Hulu. Um, You know, these are the things that you have to think about and have to build the business around. And again, if you're driving a huge percentage of your sub base to a lower priced ad tier where they're not as actively engaged or not opening the service as much on any given night. You know, these things will matter over time in terms of the economics on, on, on those rights. So it's, it's, it's all tied together in a way that is uh, particularly messy for the companies that are trying to make this transition. So in the Q4 letter, they led things off with saying they want to broaden their offering with three different things. First, live. Second, sports, which I guess relates to live a bit. And then the third one was gaming. Gaming, if you're not following Netflix closely, may surprise some listeners. I'm sure a lot of people don't even know that they have the games there. They've kind of been testing the water waters for the last two years. Either of you can start first. Why do you think they are interested in gaming? And why why now? This is you a hard are, one. No one, we. I know you guys uh, don't like this question. I think, but. <laughs> look, I, 
I'll, I'll start. Well, they've been at this for, you know, over over two years, I think, at this point, since they like announced their initiative and started building it. And they hired um, one of the top gaming executives from from Facebook, now known as Meta. Um, the reason why they started, right, is because they see, you know, they label competition is, you know, sleep, you know, anything that takes away attention from them. And as you look at the the younger audiences, just gaming and even growing out, growing older audience, gaming is just a big part of your 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 daily entertainment. And if you're highly engaged with with a game, let's say on a console or mobile or PC or VR, right? Um, that just takes away time. You know, if I sit down in my bed and and even like playing chess on my phone right that just takes away time that i could be watching netflix let alone if you're 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 on call of duty fortnite etc etc younger audiences roblox so they know that that is a a threat to to taking you know attention away from them i suspect that's why um they thought it would be interesting to them but also a way that they could you know we talking earlier about sports and bundling a part of the entire cost of the business being together. Well, potentially gaming can be a part of that with your subscription. You have games and they said it hasn't been really a tool for customer acquiring customers, but it's been a, a decent tool for those that have used the games to retain, to retain customers. And then as technology evolves, you know, cloud computing gets more advanced internet speeds improve, et cetera, et cetera. You can imagine a world where 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 streaming uh, games like um, like Roblox has done it becomes way way more ubiquitous with with you know high quality games. And you can imagine ways that you know that happens directly on your phone. You don't even download the game; you just play it on Netflix app, but also on your PC. So it's a very very long term bet. Um, you know, Greg uh, Peters talked about in the in the strategy interview that. You know they're 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 putting a, a big investment, meaningful investment, but they're also not like super rushing to it because they got to build the institutional expertise and know how. It's not just about hiring good people and off you go. Um, they've acquired small studios, they've licensed different shows, different sorry games, um, but they it's also a benefit with with their own you know intellectual property and content and even. I think one of their biggest hits in games was based on one of their re reality TV shows, right? Um, they also licensed the the Grand Theft Auto games, and that's you know been their biggest downloads ever. And it was at one point, you know, top of the uh, the Apple uh, game uh, charts. So I think it's a it's a, a place that they can scale over time, be meaningful, be a big player, and it's and it's um a uh, medium of entertainment that's just growing dramatically in 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 the time spent that that the people are consuming this so um and eventually the again they'll they'll leverage their ip you know can do you can imagine a situation where they're, they're super advanced or you know they're in triple a games which are the most high quality games and they'll have a triple a squid game game right you know pristine production with voice actors and audio quality and graphics and the sophistication of the gameplay 
um, all over, you know, and with playing with friends that are also Netflix subscribers across your phone, television, that'd be like the home run super scenario. Right. But, but it takes a long way to get there. And, and, and I think they're building the muscle, but I think they're also doing it in a way that it's not really hurting their, their, their free cash flow growth. It's not really, you know, they don't have like another segment that's just burning a, a lot of money and, and, and slowing them down. Um, but they're they're putting good attention to that. That's why I think they're, 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 they mention it a lot, even though it's really not material to them. I think they mention it a lot because they want this to be much, much more important over time. And they want, you know, they want investors to know this. They want their management team and employees to know this, you know. And so I think it's going to be a bigger part of Netflix, but it's a it's a much more longer term play, right? I don't think, I don't think next year is going to be a crazy, crazy change from from you know last year you might have more tons of gains but i think it, it'll it'll take time to really crack that code because they don't want to look a, a very costly triple a game can be in the hundreds of millions of dollars right and you got to market these as well um and they don't want to start at that level because then you know you're you risk yourself of blowing up um blowing a lot of money away and 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 that's happened to amazon uh they spend a lot a lot of money on trying to go to the triple a segment very very quickly and you know you stumbled right um and they're, they're re- rethinking their their gaming aspect so i think the way they've approached this is good but it, i i would call it like a a call option uh as an investor in the company yeah i mean i basically have the same thoughts i think it's you know, I think it makes sense in terms of, of time spent thinking about what entertainment is and how that continues to evolve. I think there's clear benefits in terms of of sustaining and driving popularity of, of key IP. And I think they said that the, the quote about this on the Q4 call, I think pretty well said that that's where their focus will be going forward, which makes a ton of sense. You know, I think there's continued continued evolution technologically. We saw we've seen things like Google Stadia and the like. And, you know, it's it's not hard to imagine a scenario where the the ability to the ability to interact with Netflix's gaming services you know beyond just mobile usage which I think is the primary primary if not sole way to use it today so I think it's an area that makes a lot of sense for them to to explore and to to get their arms around and again I think it's something like not to say it will become this but it's something where if it does become a meaningful part of their business and and what people uh, kind of demand or want as part of the value proposition they'll There'll be many years ahead of competitors who are, you know, they're obviously doing things with gaming and gaming in certain ways that traditional media companies, but they're not, they're not taking the same approach in my mind or anything comparable to the approach that Netflix is taking. So it's, uh, I think it's a very reasonable that 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 may or may not work out. Okay, let's uh, kind of shift gears a little bit to discussing Netflix stock more specifically. They just had their earnings report, I guess, as a the time of this being released, it will have been about a week prior. So thoughts on the guidance for 2024. What do you think about the valuation at today's price? And then I kind of as a follow-up, you talked about the Nielsen engagement ratings earlier in the episode today. And I'm curious, do you the CTV space as a whole is growing? Do you think Netflix needs to grow their share within the space in order for this to work? Or can it just maintain its position i can start on that one um yeah i've been tracking 
for anybody who doesn't know, I've been I've been tracking Netflix's share within CTV or within streaming as part of the U.S. is the is the region where we have the clearest data on this. And for basically as long as it's been reported, they've been in that call it the 20, 25% range of the broader market. And the broader market's gone from, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe 25% to now pushing 40% uh, mid thirties. Um, so I think they, I think they can do quite well if they, if they, you know, kind of sustain that level of share. That said, I, I would expect it to, to start moving higher over time. And, you know, depending on how you think about what YouTube is and whether it's a competitor or just a, a, a different type of offering. Um, obviously, the, the numbers can look quite a bit different um, as well. You know, in terms of the in terms of the stock and and the way the business is valued, I think part of the reality and it's kind of as we discussed today is that the the level of certainty in this business, in, in my mind, is is even higher than it was you know two three years ago. Uh, we we just went through a very significant test of the sustainability of their of their competitive advantages and and they came out uh, quite well on the other side. Um, you know, I, I I think if you looked at the valuation 18 months ago or 24 months ago and asked what's priced in here, you know, a lot of the answer would come down to do you believe that this is a business that's going to be capped at 225 million paid subs at at $10 a month or is this something that's got room to run on on both of those variables and um you know, we've 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 come a decent way on on the volume part of that equation subsequently, and um, I I think we're very well set up for for both legs to to keep moving higher over time. Um, so yeah, as always, it depends on on the assumptions that you're willing to build in, and also you know the type of investor you are in your time horizon. But I think the company's position today is is uh, as strong as it's ever been, and they're. While they say they are not interested in acquiring linear assets, which I think is um, almost certainly the right decision, that I, I do not think that will preclude them from finding other potentially interesting ideas with with legacy content owners or uh, content production engines. So um, I think there's there's certainly more to come in the in the months and years ahead. Yeah, I I, uh, I completely agree. Um, I think look if, if they had. 6.9 billion of free cash flow last year, effectively guiding to 6 billion in free cash flow this year. Reason why it's down is because we had we had the the actors and the writers strike last year for for a long period of time, which was a billion dollar impact. So all production and development of content was shut down uh, for many months. And obviously, they, they so they save a billion dollars, and now you restart development, you restart production. So there comes a swing there, and I thought the swing would have been higher. Quite frankly, I thought you know, you know, had six point nine million free cash flow last year. I, I would have thought maybe it would have been five this year, but it's going to be six billion uh, free cash flow this year. And then if you go well, six billion free cash flow, you know, it's basically roughly forty times free cash flow. Um, and then you're, you look at that, you're like, okay, highly certain of their path, description business, but still a very, very, very high multiple. Um, the flip side of that is that, look, now they're, they're growing at 12 to 13%. And this year, advertising is not going to be material to their growth, but it, it will be in 2025. So you're going to have a decent, and, and the password crackdown. And 
um, is contributing to subscribers. And now you're, you're, you basically have the, the best options of licensing and producing your own original content um, than you ever had before. Cause before nobody would license to you now, like we just added, uh, they just announced that they're going to have, or it was reported that they're going to add sex in the city, right? Something, a property that I think, you know, two years ago, you, you would have said the odds of that going to Netflix were like nearly 0%. Um, and, and now they have access to, to this type of licensing opportunity. So the path, it's very, very high, but also look, if they can sustain even low double digit, you know, um, revenue growth and the guy to 17 billion of, of cash content spend this year, you know, but look, Alex said like your 37 billion in, in run rate revenue slap a 10% growth on that. Let's just, you know, round up the numbers a little bit. So incremental revenue of $4 billion. You're not going to raise your incremental content cost by $4 billion from 17 to 21, right? It's just not going to happen. Um, and you can be much more, you, you know, you're spending 17 billion. The competition is coming cost. And you have to access the license, uh, most content that you want globally um you don't really have to like put down the hammer on content spend so i they talked about that they were willing to play offense reinvest in the business grow that but you don't got to grow it um in a dramatic way my point being that you got a four billion incremental uh revenue growth on a run rate basis uh, just a, a, a as an assumption an example um could be higher could be lower you're not going to grow content costs with your biggest cost anywhere near that. Um, and that creates pretty high operating leverage that goes down to free cash flow. In other words, you know, that six billion of free cash flow can swing to eight billion very, very quickly in a short period of time, 10 plus billion in a faster um, in, a, in a medium term time range. And that multiple that we're talking about this year starts to look, you know, fairly low for such a high quality business. If you're looking down, let's say five years from now. So I'm not, I'm not saying the stock is cheap. It's, it's full. Um, um, but their competitive position is so strong. The nature of the business business being largely subscription based and their competitive position in terms of subscribers and usage. Um, we might look back five years from now and, and today might be a, a pretty decent price. Um, but there's always volatility, you know, Hey, you miss subscribers by, by this much, the stock tanks, you beat subscribers by a little bit stock goes up a lot. So there's always going to be a lot of volatility here, but, but I think they're, they're extremely, extremely well-placed. It's hard to. Just one other thing I'd add on that is I'm thinking about some of these assumptions going forward. And obviously it's hard to, to really put this to an apples to apples comparison, but it is interesting to think about if you pull up, if you pull up Netflix tonight when you're at home and, and just look at the, the breadth of content that's on there. And obviously it's, you know, depending on the tier you're on, it's all accessible when you want it, where you want it. Obviously with no ads, if you're on the SVOD tier and you look at that business and in the, in the United States or in UCAN, the, the arm average revenue revenue for membership in the fourth quarter was just shy of seventeen dollars. Um, you know, you can compare that to what I was saying earlier about how Comedy Central, where 
you can turn on your TV right now and, and your choice is to watch the episode of Seinfeld that's currently on TV. And it's, it's, uh, it's a 22 or 23 minute episode with seven or eight minutes of ads. And when that ends, they'll air the next episode that they decide to air. And, and that'll be 22 or 23 minutes with seven or eight minutes of ads. And if you look at Comcast's results for their cable business this quarter, their programming expenses are roughly, these numbers are getting harder and harder to, to calculate cleanly because of the pace of the decline, but their programming expenses per sub are roughly $75, which is uh, quite a bit higher than it was five or 10 years ago. And that's just their programming, programming expenses, right? They're still, they're still pricing at least for some growth margin on that to cover, to cover their OPEX. So point being, you know, the, the cost of that Netflix subscription, or at least the arm is, you know, maybe one fifth of what the average pay TV subscription costs. And, um, you know, there's, there's, obviously differences between those two products, most notably in terms of, of sports and news. But I think it just provides some context for what you're getting relative to, you know, what you would have paid five, 10 years ago, 20 years ago for Redbox subscription or rentals, uh, Blockbuster rentals, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the value add here and the improving value add here, in my mind, uh, is, is not reflected in a $16 UCAN ARPU, nor is it reflected in a $10 global ARPU. All right. We've been optimistic, rightfully so, on Netflix on this discussion. Uh, they crushed it with their Q4 earnings. But I want to, as we always close out with any stock-specific discussion, talk about a pre-mortem. So we're not going to talk, you know, clearly the stock premium valuation when looking at trailing numbers. People can debate whether it's a buy or not here. But I want to talk about their underlying business and market shares. So what would have to happen for them to lose market share, let's just say in US streaming TV over the next five years? How who could come in and steal market share from them? How do they lose relevance to the North American customer? I think that the way I would answer that is. Is more about the losing relevance part. Um, I think, you know, when you have young kids just on YouTube all day long and very, very young kids, and then when you have a slightly older cohort, you know, on TikTok all day and you create those habits and the proliferation of, of social media. Um, I used to think, you know, and then you go older. So I used to think when I was in college, looking back, if I had some free time between classes or after studying or whatever, I, you know, I would binge a bunch of shows. Um, now you might, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, maybe I'd be flipping through Instagram for like 30 minutes and then like, you know, then doing something else. Right. Um, and um or you know now TikTok or or whatever or playing more video games um even though back then um so played a lot of video games but just uh, it's it's an the entertainment industry and there's many more ways to be entertained and i think that's something that um is more of the of the bigger risk um and it kind of ties into kind of like the, the, the movie industry overall, like, you, you know, in the, in the, you know, 
1960s, right? Uh, 70s, uh, 80s, um, even 90s. Like, it's like, you know, I used to, I used to wake up um, as a as a young kid and like check the newspaper to see the scheduled times for for certain movies. It was like, oh my god, it's gonna take them forever to watch this after it's gone out of the movie theaters. If if I wasn't able to watch that movie. Um, and then you got to go to, you know, Blockbuster or, or buy the movie. Um, you know, now it's just like, well, to go to the movie theater, like it has to be something so, so impactful, like a Barbie moment, right? A Top Gun moment, uh, a big Avengers movie moment, just like these special, unique, it's, it's like, you know, you know, genie in a model type of thing. Um, so it just becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. I think I think that would be the bit the bigger risk, and, and particularly kind of YouTube, social media, whatever is going to come next, because there always will be something next. Um, I mean, pre the pandemic, I mean, not a lot of people knew what TikTok was, um, so it it just keeps evolving, and that you know that I think that goes to show why they're expanding their horizons with 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 gaming and and live programming, and they can't just sit there and be like, hey. TV shows and movies, right? Um, they, they kind of have to keep expanding and, and, and pushing um, their boundaries because it's just, you know, inter entertaining people just becomes way, way, way more competitive over time, right? I mean, people used to go to, you know, theater and drive-ins and then th things change. So the entertain entertaining uh, people evolves um, and that's, I think that would be the bigger risk. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like, you know, um, another streamer toppling them. That's, you can't rule that out. Right. Uh, I think if, if I'm looking at it over a very, very, very long period of time, I think that that's the risk uh, that, that I would point to. Yeah. The one that I, as Francisco mentioned, the one I, I personally focus on the most, and I see this from, from tracking the Nielsen gauge data. And then actually when they reported, they reported Q4, they had a chart in there with some other uh, country-specific data. And I immediately pulled up the last Q4 letter because it had the similar countries, Poland, Mexico, et cetera. Um, and what I wanted to see was the YouTube share in those markets and how that's trended over time. And YouTube is a extremely popular platform in the US and even more so globally would probably be my, uh, my, my guess based on the data that's reported. And by the way, this is typically this is typically TV data, at least in the United States and other markets it is uh, inclusive of mobile and whatnot. But the idea that YouTube's dominant, obviously on the TV form factor, um, you would think that would suggest they're much more dominant when you properly account for mobile, whatever it may be. And I think back to, I think back to, there's a comedian, Tom Segura, and he, and he mentioned, I think it's his book or on a podcast at one time that it was 2013 or 2014, he was talking to his agent and he was really hoping to get his special on Comedy Central and he called him and told him, yeah, we didn't we didn't get the deal, but it's going to be on Netflix. And he was, you know, kind of disappointed. It's like, oh, I guess we're going to like, you know, that crappy DVD service, which at this point already had streaming, but maybe he did or didn't know that. Um, and what he found subsequently is that his his ticket sales exploded and he's like, oh my gosh, this is a much bigger platform than, than I realized. And that was 10 years ago when he was... He would have preferred to have been on Comedy Central over Netflix, which nobody would say today. And I would just note from following comedians that many who do not sign deals with uh, a Netflix or I guess HBO to the extent they do this at all anymore, 
a lot of them throw their specials up on YouTube and they get very significant viewership. And there is a component of their overall economics or the way they think about their business that makes that probably a pretty compelling platform to consider using. And I'd also note that YouTube was playing, uh, had a strategy that focused on more premium content a handful of years ago. You know, they subsequently exited that and 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 not revisited as far as I know. But point being, YouTube is a very dominant platform in a lot of ways. And uh, there's, there's nothing written in, uh, there's nothing that says they can't reconsider how they want to play in this space. So I, I think they are a, a very real competitor in a lot of ways. And, and they and Netflix both are uh, in competing with each other. All right, guys, this has been a fantastic discussion. I think any listener now has a much better understanding of the Netflix business model, where they sit, why they've been winning so much over the last few years. But before we go, where can listeners and investors find you guys and maybe talk about, now this is a, this is a longer form discussion, but you guys do your 10 minute, actually you talk about, I forget the exact name, but what, what have you guys been doing on every Friday morning? So I'll just quickly say you can find me on Twitter, but you can find Alex on Twitter as well, but he writes an amazing um, newsletter Substack, And I think it's, it's very unique and insightful. He covers different companies, talks about investment philosophy, talks about his portfolio, which you can track. And, and whenever he buys or sells something, it's a very, very unique uh, service. And, and I'm really happy to be associated with him in, in our weekly podcast uh, called TSOH Weekly. Um, and we, we just discuss about any any company that um, or situation that kind of is interesting to us. But we, we, you know, cap it at around 10 minutes and it's a quick discussion and forces us to like hone in on, on what's important about each issue. But um, I, I wanted... Uh, Alex is a very humble guy, so I, I wanted to make sure to to really uh, to to promote um, his service. We can attest I to that be. as well. We are uh, happy subscribers and love reading the uh, TSOH Substack. Netflix update. Uh, this will be out the week after, but Netflix update did come out this morning. So also timely stuff in the in the the updates. Very much appreciate that. It's called TSOH Weekly, to be clear, because Francisco and I could not think of a better name. Uh, he does. He, most of the uh, thoughtful analysis and great insights come, come from him on the podcast, not me. I, I, I mostly just sit there, which is fine by me. Um, That's not and true. The other, <laughs> the, other, the other thing is, for anybody who listens to this podcast, you may recognize the reason we had to get constrained to 10 minutes is because we tend to run our mouths a little bit when we, when we find a topic we like. So we decided to cut ourselves short at 10 minutes every week. Um, but yeah, you can find me over at the TSOH Investment Research Service or or on Twitter at TSOH underscore investing. All right, beautiful guys. Let me hit the disclosure and we can get out of here. Ryan and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan, I, or any podcast guests may hold securities discussed in this podcast. We may have held them in the past and we may buy, sell, or hold them in the future. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.